respect and information is what you get from Dr. You know, the Progressive Radio Network. Getting the information out to the veterans, getting the information out to the family members to ensure that medical care is provided is what Dr. Knoll decided to do years ago with his documentaries, Killing Our Own. You get those on his website. Very, very important to watch those. Well, we're going to continue our discussion of depleted uranium. And I, I don't even know where to begin because the casualties and all the people who we ordered medical care for, the General Eric Shinseki personally ordered medical care for himself, both as an Army general, as a VA secretary, General Peake, he also ordered the medical care. He was also an Army general, and he was also an Army Surgeon General, and he was also a VA secretary, going all the way to DAC-1 to the when the MedCom ordered it in theater by Colonel uh, Dr. Tom Little, who was my boss, and it's not happening. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we got the family of another casualty coming with us today, and we're going to talk about what has happened to the families, what has happened to the warriors, how can they get medical care, what do we need to do. Amy, welcome to Warrior Connection. With God, we're honored to have you, ma'am. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be part of this. So thank Please. you. Please tell us, uh, you know, you don't have to lose your last name, but you can just use your first name, who your husband is, what he did, what has happened to him, and where we need to go. I mean, right now, he's trying to get medical care at the VA as we're pre-recording this, isn't he? Yes. Um, he actually, at this point, refuses to go back to the VA because the care was so negligent that I think it really led to his further demise um, with what's happening inside of his body. So we had to go to care outside of the VA. Well, tell us a little bit about when was he in the military, what did he do, where was he at, and all this stuff, because it's it's just a horror. It's a horror beyond imagination. Absolutely. So my husband was in the Army. Um, he was a sergeant in the Army. He served from 2000 to 2006, and he was part of the infantry, and he went to Iraq in 2005, um, he was a gunner on a Bradley tank, and as many of you know or don't know, the Bradley uses depleted uranium um, ammunition. So my husband's job was to fire that, and when the chemical reaction of the bullet going through the chamber would come out, it would release some kind of smoke, and my husband would continuously inhale that. Um, but he did his job. He did it proudly. Uh, he lost 18 men out in the war, um, came home. Very, very different person, um, had a hard time adapting back to civilian life, um, and started to have these, like, really weird back pains. And my husband is like a tank. Like, he could go, he could break a leg and walk on it. And so for him to complain was really, really odd. So we went to the VA eventually, and they said he had arthritis and sent him away. And then he went back. He went back for a whole entire year in 2008 for them to just say that, he had arthritis. They gave him shoe wedges, and they said that's all they can do for him. And in October of 2009, the pain got so, so bad that he couldn't get out of bed. And I rushed him to the emergency room in our hometown, and they did an MRI. And what the MRI showed was that he had multiple lytic lesions down his spine and his hips. And the doctor's words were, one, how could he walk? How was he able to function? And two, how did anybody possibly miss what was happening to Mark, and we said we went to the VA, and that's how they missed it. They just didn't, nobody ever paid him a second glance. They just 
No one did an MRI. Nobody did anything. They just dismissed his concerns and um, left them on the side. So thank God we were able to get private insurance and get to a different ER. So from that point in 2009 to where we are currently, Mark has been to so many doctors. Um, They had him on almost 300 pills a week, including a morphine drip. He had surgery because his bones were so deteriorated that his C7 actually collapsed. And all at this point, we're at a private hospital back in October of 2009, going into November. And I asked my husband, like, well, what did you, like, what did you do in the war? What, you know, I know you were a gunner, so I started doing research, and I read how he used the depleted uranium rounds and how the bone is a primary site. And all the doctors that we were going to said, it looks like a multiple myeloma. They thought it was a cancer, but nothing was coming up. There was an abnormality in the bone marrow, but it wasn't cancer. So at this point, they were baffled. We were baffled. But I thought I had figured it all out because it made sense. He was a gunner. He handled this stuff. It was toxic. It went to his bones. It made sense. So we tried to go back to the VA, and they said, you know, that's fine. You guys can come back. We're going to take care of him. And around that time, they flew in a Dr. Cassano from Washington, and we had a big meeting. My husband was on so many painkillers and could hardly walk at the point. Um, We took him in a wheelchair. We had a meeting with the heads of the East Orange VA in New Jersey and Dr. Cassano, myself, my husband, and my father. And she basically said that if we continued to say that it was depleted uranium, um, because we were going to the press at the time, we were trying to get it out, like, this is crazy. This is nuts. He's sick from our own, you know, ammunition. So she basically told us that if we continue to say that, that she would deny him any compensation and he would not get his pension because depleted uranium is safe, and that's not what's making him sick. And she went on to say he could have a tropical disease. And from that day on, literally that day, she, Dr. Cassano herself, walked us over to infectious disease at the East Orange VA. The, The infectious disease doctor said, they are dumping this case on me. He doesn't have an infectious disease. And all of a sudden, they found something in the pathology that said it was brucella, which is the Malta fever. Um, And they started treating him for that, put him on all these medicines, and he lived like that for three years. He was going to the New York VA. He went to Walter Reed. Um, It was horrible and until it was enough, and he stopped everything. And I honestly, truly believe, had he not gotten off all the medicines, um, that he'd be dead today. And I, I, I don't think they had any intention of ever taking care of him. Um, they lost all his service records while he was in. It, it was just, it's just been a horrible, horrible journey with them. But that's pretty much the short version of what's happened to Mark. It's, it's just, it never ends. Because first off, you're referring to Dr. Victoria Gasano. She was in charge of environmental health for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs at headquarters. She's personally the same one I went around and around with. And when I got an appointment up to uh, the Warrenship Clinic in Washington, D.C., her and her number two actually claimed I was never in the military and D.E. was safe and there were no exposures and the whole shebang. So the lie has been going on incredibly, incredibly long. On the depleted uranium of the Bradley fighting vehicle, as Mark knows, and I did the research on this at the Nevada test site, Ray, you've got the... You've seen the videos, the DVDs of this testing. It's incredible, isn't it, Ray? It's amazing. And, Amy, it's an honor to have you on the program today. And I'm so sorry about your husband and, and you and the 
the trauma and every the moral injury that you must be suffering from knowing what's going on. And we, we Doug and I are very familiar with the same stories, the same outcomes. And, uh, and I always think of that video, Doug, about beyond treason. And it is beyond treason what has taken place to our military, uh, of not only exposing them to this kind of thing, and they knew better, but now they have denied medical care for these people. And it's just beyond even the imagination. That's the part of the military most people don't think about. I've heard people say, oh, that you're making too much money, you get better health care, you get everything, and you really don't deserve it just because you went in the military. But they don't realize the sacrifices that you make, a family makes, while serving in the military. And they don't understand the, the um, you know, the problems they arrive from even by going overseas to a third world country. And the way I explain it, Amy, about him coming back home, um, I talk about being, you know, raised in uh, Disney World, America. Everything is wonderful here. We drive around 30, 40 restaurants looking for something to eat. When he goes over to a third world country, <clears throat> and especially if you add combat to it, they see in black and white. They, they're just trying to make a life. They're trying to stay alive. And when you spend time there and come back home again, you're totally different because you're still seeing black and white. And it's hard to adapt with no injuries. But when you compound the situation with injuries, it just changes everything, the whole family. So I, I really feel for you, Amy. I'm, I'm very sorry what has taken place. The uh, depleted uranium, the Bradley Fighting Vehicles uses a 25-millimeter depleted uranium round. Each individual round is around uh, 250 grams of solid uranium. But the isotope in the DU is uranium-238. Uranium-234, Uranium-235, Uranium-236, Plutonium, Neptunium, and Americium. This is all confirmed in the U.S. Army Environmental Policy Institute study on depleted uranium and the work that uh, U.S. Army Colonel and former VA doctor Asif Durakovich has proven all the way along. So what we have happening on the 25-millimeter on the chain gun on the Bradley, first off, according to the red team data that we developed for Fort Benning and for uh, the guys that are working with the Bradleys, the exposure is 300 milliamps per hour when you're sitting on top of the uh, rounds that are in the bottom of the, the Bradley vehicle. And uh, you've got 300 milliamps per hour exposure. You've got tens of thousands of exposure to alpha particles when they get it in. So, I mean, this stuff is thing. When you think about it, it is what it looks like is a, a, a giant dart or think of, you know, just big darts you play darts on and over 200 grams of, of this mixed uranium and other radioactive isotopes. So this is flying through the air, and when it fires, it's in a regular casing. And as Amy just described, we do know, absolutely do know, that the uh, uranium is shedding off during the explosion before it leaves the bore of the gun the muzzle of the gun, and flying hits the target. So first off, you've got radiological exposure continually to the bones from sitting on it and inside it, but then you've got the inhalation of the dust and all the other problems that are coming down from it. And then you've got the contamination all over from everything you shot up. When we look at the common task training for the U.S. Army, the U.S. Army Regulation 700-48, it absolutely requires full respiratory and skin protection within 50 meters of any contact for even a single route of DU. And so it's just a, I mean, a total, total nightmare all the way around. 
When we look at the Department of Defense briefing by J. Edgar Wakayama, this was uh, a long time ago, at the beginning of the war, Amy, before your husband got sent over there. In there, they say alpha particle taken inside the body is large doses, hazardous, producing cell damage and cancer, including the skin protects from external alpha. Lung cancer is well documented. Beta particle is hazardous to skin and the lens of the eyes. Again, we continue on and we go on. D was chemically toxic due to heavy metal like lead. The target organ is the kidney and the bone. Goes on to say the urine samples containing uranium are mutagenic as determined by the Ames test. In other words, don't pee on your fingers because you're peeing cancer causing liquid all over your fingers. The cultured human stem cell bone line with DUAs also transformed the cells and become sarcosinogenic. So these are what the Department of Defense fully acknowledges on. And for the Bradley, when we wrote up the uh, Red Team safety guidelines, we put it all in there. But as you know, he wasn't taught. One thing that I've learned, and Amy, maybe you can tell us, did your husband as a DU gunner on a Bradley fighting vehicle complete the mandated 100 hours of training on depleted uranium, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3? No, he had no training, no new, really nothing about it. And that's the super, I think, really sad thing is that, you know, I was in the Marine Corps myself. I served from 1998 to 2002, and I remember... When I enlisted, you have these kids. They're kids, and they trust your, you know, we trust our government. You're so proud, and you don't think to question what, you know, what injections. I remember in boot camp, they just injected us with all this stuff, but you never question because you just trust. And I think for Mark and, you know, the men and women who went over, you don't even think twice to question what you're handling. You trust that your government will take care of you. So Mark got no training, and he never questioned it ever until he got really sick. The uh, U.S. Veteran Affairs has a document, and maybe we'll have to get this to you, all the stuff to you, but Ray has got it and everything. It's called Some Things You Need to Know Veterans, a Clinician's Guide to Veteran-Specific Issues. This is authored by a whole group, but it's primarily under Dr. Barbara Harduke, H-Y-D-U-K-E. She was a director at Vision 11, the VA, is out of Michigan, and Dr. Alan Mello, also a director, this is a guy out of mental health, PTSD. So we got the medical and we got the PTSD for Vision 11. And under the term depleted uranium, quote, the specific signs and symptoms, and I'm going to go through these one by one, Amy, and you can tell us as I go through them whether your husband experiences them. Quote, the signs and symptoms, some of the physical symptoms which occur from exposure to depleted uranium are sleep problems. Yes. Mood swings. Yes. Symptoms in upper and lower respiratory system. Yes. Neuropsychological symptoms, including memory loss. Yes. Chronic fatigue, immune dysfunction syndrome. Yes. Skin rashes and unusual hair loss. Yeah, he's got horrible rashes on his feet. Horrible, horrible. I know I also have it, too. Aching joints, you already mentioned that. Yep. Headaches. Yes. Abdominal pain. Yes. Sensitivity to light. In other words, the eye damage. Um, yes, he needs to wear sunglasses all the time, outside, Blurred. when we're outside. Blurred vision. No, that he doesn't have. 
Okay, obviously, I mean, he's not a female, so the menstrual disorders come into play here for the females. Gastrointestinal systems, incurring recurrent diarrhea and constipation. So you've got severe constipation or diarrhea, or you just got, I mean, it's your stomach, you know, like got the flu all the time. Yes, when he has these flare-ups, yes, absolutely. Neurological nervous system disorders, such as numbness and tingling in the limb. Yes. Multiple chemical sensitivity. Yes. Did you have any children that were conceived or born after the fact that have any birth problems? Um, we have yes. So we have one son that was born after, and no, so far, knock on wood, everything seems to be okay. Um, he had a tiny hole in his heart, but that they said that will be fine. But so we're blessed in that aspect. You know, when we look at it, it's not just depleted uranium, but it's all the other immunizations we had. And the anthrax vaccine, I mean, obviously you and your husband both had to take the anthrax vaccine, correct? Yeah, so I was actually in Okinawa, Japan, when they started giving that, and I refused it. I was with 9th Com Battalion um, out in Japan, and they said we all had to get it, and I would not get it, and I got written up and reprimanded, but I never received my anthrax vaccine um, simply because I refused it. But for it was intimidating. Like when you refuse something like that, you you can get in, you, you know, your property of the government. It's uh, it, they intimidated me. They, you know, practically like forced me to take it, but I didn't. I wasn't deploying anywhere. I was on Okinawa. There was no reason. So, but Mark, he got all the injections. Okay, I want to go to this specifically. Direct quote: Signs and symptoms for the anthrax vaccine. Muscle and joint pain. Yes. Uh, intermittent paralysis. Yeah, I would say yes. Chronic fatigue and exhaustion. Yes. Severe headaches. Yes. Weight loss. Yes. Chronic illness. Yes. Memory problems. Yes. Numbness in the limbs and hands, spasms or tremors in the limbs. Yes. Diarrhea. Yes. Cardiac problems. No. Heart problems. Yeah, so what we're seeing again, and we're just confirmed, is we're having the same physiological effects for both depleted uranium and the anthrax vaccine. And what happens, as we've learned, and I've learned horribly, and as my team have learned, and as everybody knows on Warrior Connection, there's very few of us left alive, these are synergistic in nature. In other words, one plus one does not equal two. The physiological effects are one plus one equals three or five or seven or nine. And so this all bounces around and everything else. Uh, the other thing we have to ask was, was your husband exposed to all of the burn pit smoke yes, and all of that junk. He was, and they actually, it, w it wasn't just the burn pits. They did um, a raid on one of Saddam's all, um, old weapon complexes, and I asked Mark, like, when you did the raid, like, and then after the raid, they did a mass detonation of everything they found, and I asked him, did you have on any protective gloves, anything? Like, you're walking through this toxic wasteland, and you know, and then you blew it all up because you were ordered to do it. Did you have any protection? He said, no, nothing, nothing at all. So, so much exposures while he was there. Yeah, when we when we look at 
the whole thing with all the exposures, the burn pits is definitely confirmed. We've got the medical directors. We've got all the respiratory problems. We've got all the neurological problems. We've got the cardiac problems. We've got, you know, all of the different problems completely associated with that. The other thing, too, was what we know also from, I don't know how we define overall the overall exposures, and that'd be kind of golf or the term golf or illness, I guess, is the term that uh, has been used to describe this very complex thing. But again, the direct quote on this, and we've already gone through this, we're just saying it again, the signs and symptoms for the golf or illness over our fatigue. Yes. Skin rash, you already mentioned that, correct? Yep, yes. Headaches, you already mentioned that, correct? Mm-hmm, yes. Muscle and joint pain. Right, yep. Memory loss. Yes. Respiratory shortness of breath. In other words, I mean, you can't get your breath and you can't run all day. I mean, I'm down where I can't leap a single-story building. Well, I actually can't walk much more than can't even walk a half a mile. Right. But, yeah, I mean, he can't because his bones, he's in pain. I mean, he can't run at all, but he is, you know, out of breath more, I think, because his body's just so weak right now. Sleep problems, too. I mean, with all this stuff coming together, obviously, to the sleep problems. I mean, I'm lucky if I get war, maybe two uh, or three hours of sleep, real deep sleep a night. What, What is your husband experiencing for sleep? Oh, gosh, maybe three hours, um, four hours. It's that He never gets a good night's sleep. And then, obviously, back to the DI and other constipation, all those things. Right. And then the problems with the skin and the integrity of tissue and all of that, and then we're back to the chest pain. I think one of the things that developed, I know myself and everybody else we got reported, is the pain and the spasms will get down in the heart, all the way down to the tips of the fingers, to the tip of your nose, to the t- to down to your toes. But that pain also radiates into the arms. And one thing that scared me, again, with the cardiac things, is that it mimics a heart attack. And so they put me on the halter monitor to find out if there was a cardiac problem. And what it was is the chest pain is resulting from the pinching off of the nerves and pinching off of the muscles and blood supply, therefore causing uh, all kinds of arm pain and chest pain as if you're having a cardiac problem. Does your husband run into all of these... uh, just continuous pain all over from the tips of his toes to the top of his nose and his fingers. Yes, I think when you said the term radiates, it's like a perfect word to describe it. His body just radiates pain, the entire body, um, that it's hard to tell what's coming from what, except when you, you, know, you do the MRI, you can visually see where these defects are and you can see the signals abnormal. So his, yes, exact, his body... Is, it, it does hurt from his fingertips to his toes. It hurts. I know they did on my on a spinal damage. Mine was C two to C seven. They went and did the surgery. Uh, you mentioned also already. Did you say she, he had deterioration up in the cervical or lumbar spine, thoracic spine? Yeah. So his T. So his C seven was so deteriorated that it actually collapsed, and that's when he got really bad tingling. And we rushed him back to the hospital, and it was like just barely like brushing against his spinal cord so he you know risked being paralyzed so they quickly did surgery and put a titanium plate but he has it all in his thoracic his lumbar it all shows this deterioration these lytic lesions as they put it so you know obviously you know when you're blowing everything up 
you're going to have concussion or some chest damages. Your husband experienced anything from... I have to ask a question. The Gulf War was... It ended so quickly. Everything was moving so quickly when they went over there. And it sounded like these guys were in, uh, they were subjected to so many things, not only the injections, but then the burn, the smoke, uh, the DU, everything, where normally they wouldn't have been moving that quickly from one bad exposure to the next. But these guys were subjected to so many things at one time, the human body can't process but so many problems at a time. And these men were moving back and forth rapidly, going from one battlefield to another battlefield to the, all the oil fires, everything else. So most of them have been through a whole, uh, you know, recipe of, for disaster. And this is what is happening to these people. They they have so many problems, and the government was saying, no, 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 that's, that couldn't have happened. But they know it happened. Uh, Amy, what Doug and I talk about much, a lot of times is about moral injury of when you have been exposed to some type of combat, but then you come out of it, and then they will not even recognize the fact uh, of where you've been, what you've been exposed to. Has um, Mark ever had any kind of suicidal tendencies? Um, yes. You know, it's. I think that was one of the hardest things is that when we went for help, kind of like you were saying, Doug, when – they said you weren't even in the military. Well, they lost all of Mark's records from his time in service. Everything just disappeared. And it got to a point where the pain was so great and we were getting no help that Mark did think that maybe taking his life would spare us. And I just want to read this quote. Um, it's from a soldier, Soldier Summers, who committed suicide in 2013. And he wrote this letter for his family. And I'm not going to read the whole letter, but there is this portion in it where he was suffer, suffering from these you know, undiagnosed conditions along with PTSD. And it broke my heart because it made me think of Mark. It was as if my husband wrote these words himself, but he says, my body has become nothing but a cage, a source of pain and constant problems. The illness I have has caused me pain that not even the strongest medicines could dull, and there is no cure. All day, every day, a screaming agony in every nerve ending in my body. It is nothing short of torture. My mind is a wasteland filled with visions of incredible horror, unceasing depression, and crippling anxiety, even with all the medications the doctors dare to give. And the letter, you know, unfortunately, this soldier thought in his head that he would spare his family the pain of watching him decline, and he took his life. But, yes, Mark has absolutely thought that if this was going to be his quality of life for the rest of his life, there was no quality. There's no cure. There's no help. What was the point? And um, luckily, we, you know, he's gotten out of that stage. But when the pain hits, it's it's severe and bad. I uh, know I'm on hydrocortisone fentanyl uh, patch for pain. Is Mark on any uh, pain meds at the current time? No. So, but I can tell you what he was on. The VA had him on methadone, oxycotton, codone, morphine, gabapentum, tizanidine, doxy, um, uh, doxycycline. Um, he was on over 300 pills a week and getting injections in his stomach um, at the New York VA Weekly. They were killing him, um, completely killing him. There was no connection between any of the doctors. We were on a circuit when we decided to go back to the VA because the care was all covered. Um, they sent us in a, in a circle. And the, the saddest part is they have an OIF, OEF clinic designed to help these men and women when they get home. 
So they're supposed to know the ins and outs. And they put Mark on a circle. We'd see one doctor. We'd wait an hour. We'd go in. The doctor wouldn't have even looked at his chart. And then would see us for five minutes and say, I can't help you. And then we'd go to the next doctor and the next doctor and the next doctor. And it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrible. I can see why people give up. Um, it was a vicious cycle. And, and like I said, there are people designed to help these guys, and they're not doing a good job at all. I know we had our co-host for this radio show, Paul Lyons, committed suicide also. And it was horrible to see one of our co-hosts of this radio show deteriorate and die, and he had children born with birth defects, and he couldn't get care. And uh, this was everything. I mean, Marcus' current time, Operation Iraqi Freedom, how many deployments did he have, and how long was he in theater? And this is over one time or multiple times, Amy? This is one time. He was in Iraq for 13 months. It looks like the VA many times just wants to make them comfortable until they die. Oh, exactly. Or put you on so much medication that it, it, it kills you. I mean, your liver, everything is just... Um, shot. You know, I blame the VA completely for everything that's happened um, from that point on because, but I'm also, you know, I'm thankful because it puts us in this position to bring light to it and to ask the new administration for help because they can help us. I believe we're in this situation for a reason. And, um, but it wasn't until Mark, we had something. So Mark was so sick, and I was busy trying to take care of Mark, and we were with my parents. And, you know, something happened to our youngest son um, because we needed help, and we had someone help us with him. And because we were always at the doctor's, um, something unfortunate happened. And at that point, my husband fell into the darkest place, and he refused to take any medicine at that point. He refused to go back. And I think that essentially saved his life. Um, He started a more holistic approach, and his mind came back, you know, it was once they got him off all the drugs, he was able, he was in pain every day. He needs a cane to walk that never went away, but his mind came back. So that was a beautiful thing of getting off everything. Yeah. The, the psychotropic drugs, I mean, obviously he went to mental health and everything and the doctors, they've been prescribing these black box warning psychotropic drugs. And we, you know, we've talked about that on this radio show before we've had the experts on it. But those things basically just numb or deaden the mind, and then they try to convince you, and what I've had the experience is they try to convince us that the horror we saw and everything that was wrong was right and that we're supposed to accept all of this stuff as God-given and God-right and that we're, we're doing everything for right when deep down inside, and this is the moral injury, that it's wrong. Right. I mean, as Ray, I mean, you can explain this more, and you've been direct combat where you lost most of your unit on a horrible day in 69. How, how does one deal with this friggin' moral injury at the same time you have physiological consequence for which you're denied medical care that's mandated by order and written directive? Right. Well, three and a half years ago, I wrote that my book came out, so it's been out a while. And it was amazing that when I read my book, I was talking about moral injury, and I never heard of moral injury. But I was, when I read my own book, I was able to see certain patterns and different things. 
And I said when uh, one of the things I said in the book was when we went to war, I was 19 years old. We had 18-year-olds, a lot of 18-year-olds. And um, I said we had to put everything we ever learned at home in Sunday school on the shelf, and we had to go to combat. And you can't be merciful to your enemy in a, in a deadly situation. And you don't realize <clears throat> when you're affected by death and, and things, your own friends, but also the enemy, that it is working on you psychologically. And you come back with a wounded spirit. Um, it injures your morals. And um, that's why they call it moral injury. And you have uh, guilt and shame and all these things, which are a natural thing. But then when you get into the part where they deny that you were even there or they <clears throat> or they try to not met or you know take care of you after those wounds, it adds to the moral injury because the moral injury, morals are based on the Ten Commandments and your conscience, which are pretty much identical. And so when people lie to you, when people take things from you like your health and different things, uh, when they steal all these things from you, when they... Uh, and maybe it's because of greed or whatever. They're breaking the, and violating those uh, moral precepts in our heart and the conscience, and you come out of that guilty, more guilty all the time. There's a lot more suicide connected to moral injury than there is to post-trauma. Uh, and, you know, because there's so many, I meet so many people all the time. Um, Amy, has he ever had panic attacks? Not so much panic attacks, but he would have flashbacks. So he... Right. You know, he was on scene for, he, I mean, he's a hero like all of you guys, and he had to pull, um, he was a gunner at a checkpoint, and his buddies were coming in, and he, um, they hit a road bomb, and my husband was able to get them out and secured them. And there were so many different times out there. So at home, he would have like a flashback, and he would instantly um, numb it with alcohol okay. originally. Um, so it, I guess that would almost be considered a panic attack. It was just... Well, you know, we we warriors don't like to even the analogy of a panic attack because that is opposite to everything we always want to do. Uh, Doug's has them. I've had them. Uh, and what it is, basically, and I talk about it in the book, when you're in combat or trauma, it's a life-threatening situation. Your brain produces adrenaline to get you out of that situation. It's that super fight or flight that you get. Well, later in life, through a sight, sound, or smell reminiscent to that original trauma, uh, it could be anything, your brain gets confused and thinks you're there again. So they call it flashbacks, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's pumping adrenaline again because it thinks you're there. And that adrenaline pump turns into a panic mode because all that energy is coming out of you. There's nowhere for it to be channeled. And so you get into a, a state of just total um, chaos called panic attack. That's what it's called. So it's a physiological problem, and it's a normal response to an abnormal situation. One of the things, and Doug mentioned it today, uh, we were talking earlier, uh, what happens in a panic attack when you're hyperventilating, your brain responds to the lack of oxygen you're giving it uh, because of rapid and, and uh, shallow breathing. Your brain begins to constrict blood vessels, uh, just a normal response, and that puts you into more panic because you feel like you're suffocating. Um, and that's when people run out of the room and such like that. Well, what I found out was by accident, I took a nasal inhaler one day. I had it for a cold, and I had a panic attack at the same time. And when I used this thing, you buy it at Walmart for 354 bucks, a little nasal inhaler. When I used it, 
it opened up my sinuses, and I was able to get a shot of oxygen in my brain, and the panic attack disappeared within seconds. Wow. It works for anybody who's ever been in trauma of any kind. So I know your husband is subject to it. You, by being in the Marine Corps, you may have a little bit of it yourself, just from your personal type of combat. Um, but anytime you feel like you're you're you were in danger of losing your life, when your body produces adrenaline, there's a there's a great chance of you having post trauma through a memory, and that is what creates panic attacks. But there are ways to eliminate it by getting oxygen to your brain, and it will stop a panic attack almost instantly. So that's some of the things I teach at Camp Lejeune to Marines coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq. And uh, my book was called The Never-Ending War, and it's a combat memoir. It takes you inside of combat, and you feel the emotional stuff, the moral stuff, the, the fear, anxiety, all these things. Doug had the same thing flying, you know, 30,000 feet above us, dropping bombs on, you know, almost on us. Not, never on us, but, you know, close by. <laughs> but, uh, and so we all exposed to these things, but... The only thing I know that will stop a panic attack is oxygen, and you can use a nasal inhaler to do it. Uh, just sniff on it and then breathe in real through your nose, and your panic attack will disappear. So uh, that's just something we've learned. No, that's incredible. I'll definitely, yeah, anything that can help during those moments is I'm serious. No vital, so thank you. Well, Amy, when were you, I get, you were in the Marine Corps, obviously, we just found out, so Semper Fi. I mean, I yeah, went Semper to, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't do much more, did spend, just spent a summer in the Marine Corps. I went to Officer Basic at, at uh, Quantico in the summer of 1974, and then Vietnam ended, and I said, I'm out of here. Little did I do, I'd go in and end up retired with 35 years. But uh, when did your husband enlist in the Army, and why did he enlist in the Army, and what did he think he was doing? Well, Mark, so Mark enlisted actually when he was 17 years old, and he always wanted to do this. this. Since he was a little kid, this is all he wanted to do was join the Army. His grandfather um, was in the Army, and his great-great-uncle was actually the corpsman um, in the Iwo Jima, that famous picture um, of them raising the flag. So it was just instilled in him to... That, that's Mark's family is one of the flag raisers? Yes. Oh, Yep, he was in the Navy corpsman. Wow, good gracious. Yeah, so it's just so much, um, there was so much pride. It's what he wanted to do. He, at 17, he, with his parents' permission, he enlisted, and he went right off. Uh, and, you know, like so many of you guys, you know, Mark and I, we used to do a lot of speeches and public events, and through all the horror and all the pain, I find, you know, I didn't go over to the war. I didn't serve in combat. So I don't understand that portion of it. And I get so angry seeing how hard it's been to get Mark and so many others adequate help. It's just, it's disgusting. It's criminal. It's not okay. So for him, if I, anyone asks him and, and any of you probably, if anyone asked you guys, would you do it all over again? You guys would say in a heartbeat. And, and the same with Mark, he did it for love of country. He did it for the you know it was his dream his whole life and when he got there the brotherhood he made the the friends um it's it's just amazing and they've all been there for each other to this day um they've been an incredible support system and uh yes yeah, it's, it's what he always wanted to do 
I think one of the hardest thing is because, well, obviously, both of us, as you know, we went to Vietnam. I went back to Desert Storm and and cleaned up all the mess there with the chem bio and especially the depleted uranium, then wrote all the guidelines for the Army as a director of it. Right. But uh, one of the things that it's all come about and everything, as we understand, Operation Desert Storm was a fraud, and Operation Iraqi Freedom Enduring Freedom were definitely a fraud. I mean, the actual D-Day for the invasion of Iraq was uh, November 20th of 2000, when Al Gore didn't get elected. The invasion got canceled until after uh, the black operations for 911. I mean, you're so close there to New York, and as you know, uh, we talked about this. We had them on a radio show before. The police and the fire, medical personnel, and then obviously one of my best friends, Willie Rodriguez, were in the uh, World Trade Center, North Tower. They all died, and some lived. Willie survived, and Bill survived, but too many didn't. What does it feel like, how do you think, to realize that uh, the reasons for the war and the invasion is all a lie? It's so unbelievably hurtful, and it breaks my heart and it makes me angry, um, so angry to know that we lost so many fighting a war that didn't need to happen, lost so many um, the corruption that's involved. I would never believe it. When I tell people the story, no one believes me. I mean, they believe me, but they find it so hard to believe. I mean, the cover-ups are insane, um, but it makes me just so angry. It's like literally David versus Goliath, and these guys have no chance. Um, they literally have no chance because you're going up against these these bigwigs, um, these, you know, the government, and you're just this guy all by himself, you know, most of these men and women, they don't even have a huge support system or they don't have their degrees. They don't have the means to fight. So to know that it wasn't even, you know, it didn't have to happen, it really burns me up inside that these are just casual. Like, they, they just don't matter. These men and women don't matter. And that drives me crazy. Did your One of the essential documents, and I've got it here, we'll have to get it to you, um, is called Post-Deployment Form, and it's the Department of Defense Form 2796. And what this is, is the health assessment when they came back. Did Mark receive a physical when he redeployed and came back to uh, the world? Yes, I do think he did. Uh, he did get a, a physical, but I think it was very, very basic. Um, did you, and, is, that, is a copy of the physical still available, or you mentioned that this all destroyed? Because, I mean, we can definitely get you a, a new copy of the form that can be filled out again very easily. Yeah, if we because everything, like I said, is service records are gone. They're completely missing. Um, everything's gone. Um, so we don't have anything except pieces that Mark kept. Um, like I found, you know, in his closet, some awards he had gotten. And then one of his buddies had the mass order for the combat infantry badge. Um, but everything else is missing. And just to add to the level of corruption, when we... You know, when you put in a claim, they look on your service record. So we waited like a year to get the denial, which they're instructed to do. It's just deny, deny until you give up. So when they said they lost the service records, they couldn't locate them. They did, you know, they send you all the letters that they searched here and there, and they can't find them. But we talked to so many lawyers, JAG lawyers, that said it was, they looked at us like we were insane, like crazy, that the government, everything was electronically put in, I believe, in 2000. And you can't just lose a file, you'd have to delete it on so many, like you, you'd have to delete it on many different levels because it's not just something you can easily delete. But Marx is completely missing. 
how much it adds to it all. Sam Forum, some of the questions they ask, obviously, you know, we've already been through this, but the vaccinations obviously the affected one. Uh, did you and your husband have the smallpox vaccine? Yes. Obviously, we already went over the anthrax, botulinum, and toxin. Right, yes. Typhoid? Yes. Uh, the GG shot, that's the one in the butt with the thick stuff that hurts like heck. Right, yes, we got, I got that. I know he got that. <laughs> okay, obviously, during Desert Storm, they took proteosigma bromide and some. Nobody used Mark I. Uh, did your husband, I know we both did, we lived on it, and Ray's actually, you've got malaria now, don't you, Ray? I still get it. I sure do. Oh, wow. Four times this year, matter of fact. Did your really? husband take the anti-malarial pills like we all did and got sick from that? Yes. One thing we know today, and it's confirmed again, Christy Clinic here in Champaign, Illinois, confirmed it on me, but the anti-malarial pills, larium disrupts the inner ear and your balance mechanism. And so um, walking and staying balanced without falling is a nightmare. Does your husband have balance and walking problems? He definitely has walking problems. Um, he cannot walk without a cane. Um, he wouldn't be able to walk 10 feet without his cane. So balance is definitely an issue. Okay, and this goes back to the same thing because of the missions and everything. They started uh, prescribing all kinds of drugs, what we call illegal street drugs today. Uh, did your husband take any of that stuff, you know, just to keep going? Where, in other words, we need you to keep doing your mission. We've got to keep you awake, so here's some speed. No, I, I never even asked them that, but that's a good – I'm going to ask him because I'm sure you're right. They had to stay vigilant, and Mark was part of a small infantry team that would go out and do these missions. So I'm sure they did. I would not be surprised. The uh, physiological problems that they – on the 2796 that they ask about whether they have is – and they'll just go through and say yes or no. Chronic cough? No. Runny nose? No. Fever? No. Well, obviously, weakness is all over, correct? Yeah, weakness, yes, horribly. Headaches is all over? Yes. Swollen, stiff, and painful joints? Yes. Back pain? Yes. Muscle aches? Yes. Numbness and tingling in the hands or the feet? Yes. Uh, skin rash already confirmed, correct? Yep, yes. Uh, eyes, redness, tearing, and eye problems? Ah, uh, yes. Chest pain or pressure? Yes. Dizziness, fainting, and lightheadedness? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, diff respiratory difficulty, breathing, you already confirmed that. Right. And then t uh, get, even when you get a, try to get a good night's sleep, you never rest it. You're always tired. Right. No, yeah, he never gets a full night's sleep ever. And memory problems? Yes. And diarrhea, constipation? Yes. Uh, indigestion, does he have a problem with foods and eating and everything? Um, sometimes he does. I would say back in 2009 when this, like, all whatever was happening was manifesting in his body. Uh, we, I just call it like a flare-up when everything flared up. It was bad. And uh, now that it's, like, flared up again, it's, it's back to the same. And then obviously ringing in the ears. Yes, he gets that a lot. I mean, how has, has the VA provided him with any hearing aids? How much hearing loss? I mean, both Ray and I have severe hearing loss, but, uh, you know, and the VA did give me hearing aids for both ears. Has your husband been successful on that? No. You know, at the time when he went, he was so sick um, that we saw, like I said, ev like everybody there, every single specialist, until they moved him to New York and then Walter Reed. But um, 
I think everyone was just so, you know, they didn't understand what was happening to his bones that every other issue went out the door. So his memory, I mean, he did occupational speech and therapy, but the hearing, they never, he, you know, he never got on hearing aids or anything like that. Uh, one of the other problems they had, and we tried to stop this, and I wrote the letters to the Secretary of Defense and Dr. Michael Kilpatrick and all over and what CDC, is they were handing out uh, basically dog kits, in other words, asking the kids to wear the, uh, how do you want to call it, the pesticide strips in order to keep the bugs off them. Did your husband uh, use DEED or wear the pesticide-treated uniforms or the flea or tick collars? Um, yes, I know he used DEET, yes. See, this is the atrocity of this stuff. I mean, it's, there's there's no excuse for this. No, there's not. And unfortunately, like we've spoken about before, that nobody's held accountable. So they continue to get away with what they do because there's no they, – they can. They just simply can. And meanwhile, these people suffer. And I think that's the hardest part for me as his wife and my kids, is to watch him suffer. Like, he'll never, ever be able to play baseball. And this this makes me so sad. He'll never be able to run. You know, he'll never be able to do these things. And I, you know, right now we're going through a tough time. My mom just got diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, I have a benign brain tumor, thank God. But they're all treatable. Like, you can get chemo. I can get surgery. But, Mark, there's nothing and these other men and women, there's nothing because there's no accountability. So if you don't admit what's wrong, there's no way you can accurately treat it. And that makes me so sad for him that he has to suffer. That there's, We've already been on every narcotic in the world. They've put him on every, everything and nothing's worked. So when this flare-up happens, will it you know, last the rest of his life? Will it just last you know, a few months where it's so, so bad? It's, uh, I think that's the most heartbreaking thing about it is that these men and women, they suffer, and we're lucky enough to have a pension, but many of them don't because uh, the system is just, it's just I mean, so corrupt. You know, I, you call the White House. I mean, the White House hotline, uh, let's give it again, is 855-948-2311. I mean, I've called the White House multiple times to get my help, and they're working on it. What was the response when you called the White House hotline last week, last few weeks? No, honestly, I feel like it's just calling the VA number. It's just some person at some call center who has no, you know, uh, just that's their job, and they probably get hundreds of calls. So I didn't feel like it was getting taken seriously at all. I just feel like we're one of millions of calls that will get put on, you know, the back burner. It's So it's very, very frustrating. I think one of the most frustrating, I'm going to read this again, because right now there's an incredible, we were also going to talk about this radio show, we'll do it later one, on what's called the Pentagon Papers. And Daniel Ellsberg released that on the horror and all the lies and the cheating of the Pentagon Papers. And that has been out. Well, there was another document, and we can share this with you. You've probably seen it. Ray has it, and we all have it. It's called Los Alamos Memorandum. And I was handed this by the general, commanding general, three-star in Desert Storm, after Schwarzkopf ordered me to clean up the depleted uranium. This is dated 1 March 1991. I'm going to read this directly, quote, The effectiveness of depleted uranium penetrators. There was a relatively small amount of lethality data for uranium penetrators, either a tank-fired long version or the Gowie 8-round fired from the A-10 close air support aircraft. The recent war has likely multiplied the number of DU rounds fired to targets by orders of magnitude. 
It is believed that the penetrator is very effective against Iraqi armor. However, assessments of such will have to be made. There has been and continues to be a concern regarding the impact of DUI on the environment. Therefore, if no one makes a case for the effectiveness of the depleted uranium on the battlefield, depleted uranium rounds may become politically unacceptable and thus be deleted from the arsenal. If depleted uranium penetrators proved their worth during our recent combat activities, then to assure their future existence until something better is developed through service and Department of Defense proponency. If proponency is not guarded, it is possible that we stand to lose a valuable combat capability. I believe we should keep this sensitive issue in mind whenever action reports are written. Respectfully, Colonel Michael Zeme. I was handed this order to lie, and we know today this order is still driving the force, whether it be with your husband at East Orange, New Jersey, the Warren Street Clinic there, or in Washington or any VA. Uh, the composite, the other memo that came along with this from the Defense Nuclear Agency, and these are all available in Beyond Trees and definitely uh, Gary Knoll has in his documentaries, was telling how bad this was and how disastrous it was for our own troops. How is a spouse and how does it, as a wife and a former Marine, Semper Fi, Amy, how does it make you feel that your husband and everybody else, all your friends and his friends and buddies, are, are friendly fire casualties? It makes me so angry. I think that's when the Marine and me comes out is that it's just so unjust and it's so unfair and it's criminal and these young people who aren't you know they're from like middle america their average age you know they're a lot of them didn't go to college and they they join for love of country or to go to college or have a better life and and it burns me up that they literally are just casualties that they're completely forgotten um and when they come home with these very 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 real illnesses and problems that they're ignored and like you said they're you know you were ordered to lie i'm sure there's an order out there to just deny 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 lose records burn records make it impossible until they give up we have um, that order and it's been provided to uh, the danville va medical center and to tampa florida and to the washington dc warringers clinic wow I, and it's just it's mind-boggling that the public doesn't have any idea um, of all of this. I think the closest that they came to, you know, having an idea of how bad, you know, it is when these people, you know, when these heroes come home was when the Phoenix scandal happened. And that, you know, they had the whistleblowers from the VA um, in Phoenix, Arizona, and that kind of blew up. But as you said, when we spoke uh, previously that, you know, it's in their mind for a couple of days and then it moves on to the next thing. So it just, that's what makes me the most mad. Um, it makes the Marine and me want to come out because, but you know, I'm like, we're fighting here. Like we're fighting our own people and it's, it, it seems impossible, um, impossible, you know, to, to do anything about it, to have them admit it so they can treat these guys. It's just literally impossible. And you spoke about Dr. Jurakovic. I, you know, I spoke to him years ago, and he said the only place um, Mark could go would be Japan or Canada to get a mass spectrometry test. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, how am I going to get him to freaking Japan? Like, we don't have the money. At the time, the VA was holding back his pension. It was just they make it literally impossible. And that, that makes me sick um, to my stomach. 
Well, I only got a couple minutes left here, Amy. As a former U.S. Marine yourself and the spouse of an American hero, an Army of Bradley fighting vehicle, what would you like to say or ask to the President Donald Trump, President of the United States, and the Secretary of the VA, and all the senators and congressmen, or the public may listen to us right now, ma'am? I would like to say directly to President Trump, I voted for you because I believe in you, and I believe that you will do what's right for our troops. I believe you do love our military, and I think you, not Congress, not the Secretary of the VA, but you, Mr. Trump, President Trump, will have the courage to do what's right and look into these people and hold them accountable. And that I beg of you, and to all, you know, the servicemen and women out there, I will keep, you know, fighting, and I will not stay quiet, and we will keep shouting and screaming until somebody listens and does what's right. So Semper Fi. Semper Fi to you, Amy. It's, it's, it's really weird to have two husband and wife, both one a U.S. Marine and one U.S. Army, where the family is just horribly affected. What has happened to your buddies, your battle buddies, to his battle buddies? Oh, gosh. So, so many of them have different illnesses, not like Mark's. A lot of them, you know, they bleed urine. They um, they have a lot of post-traumatic stress issues. Um, but they all are dealing with, with something, whether it be psychological um, or physical. Well, thank you, Amy. We're done with. God bless you. God bless Mark. We'll do what we can to help you. We'll get information to you. Thanks. And thank you, Ray. Yes, thank you, guys. Thank you so much.